0: Based on our research, what we found is that people were split in terms of their uh, interest level of uh, any one particular regimen, one dose or two dose. A majority, 56%, said it didn't really change their interest if it's one dose or two dose. And so having multiple options, especially when we know that these vaccines are in general equivalents when it comes to preventing severe COVID hospitalizations or death, it's really great to have these options and allowing um, consumers over time to have the options for one dose versus two dose regimens.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Matt Isles, president and CEO of AHIP.
2: And I'm your co-host, Laura Evans. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, health insurance providers have taken decisive action to support our frontline healthcare workers and make sure that every American can get the healthcare they need. Now with multiple COVID-19 vaccines available, health insurance providers are working to ensure that all Americans have easy access to authorized vaccines free of cost. Visit ahip.org to learn more about what health insurance providers are doing to help get Americans vaccinated.
1: Today, our guest is Dr. Sri Chagaturu, Chief Medical Officer at CVS Caremark. Dr. Chagaturu focuses on enhancing the quality of services provided to CVS members and patients, while also contributing to the overall mission of CVS Health. Prior to his time at CVS Health, Dr. Chagaturu was Chief Population Health Officer at Partners Healthcare where he led the systems accountable care organization. Dr. Chagaturu is also a practicing internal medicine physician at Massachusetts General Hospital and a lecturer at Harvard Medical School. Sri, thanks for joining us today.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
1: Why don't we just go ahead and jump right in. And we know that COVID-19 vaccination efforts continue to ramp up and as supplies expand, Um, understanding and overcoming uh, vaccine hesitancy is gonna be critical. We know that CVS Health recently completed some research on this topic. Can you maybe talk about what your team set out to learn and some of the top takeaways from this research? Uh, Thanks, Matt, for
0: um, the opportunity. And uh, this is a critically important topic for us to really understand and then shape our efforts based on our understanding of vaccine hesitancy. And so uh, we started out at CVS Health conducting a number of uh, vaccine hesitancy surveys over the course of the pandemic, and it started out in November, and then we conducted another one in January. And then we have some more recent data, which we haven't published, but we'll talk about today in March. And so really to longitudinally understand how willing are you to get a vaccine And then if so, why, if not, why not? And how does that break down by race, ethnicity, education, income level? And so what we found is early on in the pandemic, there was a lot of people, 55% to be specific, that were in this movable middle. They were unclear if they were going to get the vaccine. And they either were, yes, I would like to, but I'm going to wait. Or I will, I'm not sure if I want to get the vaccine. And what we saw from November to January is that movable middle shrunk. And what happened was there were more people who were willing and more people who were hesitant. And so from 55, we went down to 38%, uh, but essentially you saw this bifurcation of the movable middle. Hmm. And then since then in March, uh, what we see is an even smaller movable middle where it's only about 20% are in the movable middle. Uh, And overall hesitancy has actually declined uh, across the board. And there are more people who are interested or have already received their vaccine. So there's some really positive news here. But Matt, over the conversation, uh, look forward to sort of breaking down some of these. uh, uh, What we see is that hesitancy varies again with greater hesitancy among underrepresented minorities. Uh, and that's a really critical piece that we're going to have to address.
2: And let me ask you, what do you, to what do you attribute that decline in hesitancy?
0: So when we ask the questions about uh, why do you want to get a uh, COVID-19 vaccine, and maybe if I can just uh, talk a little bit about the survey methodology. We, based on the time period, we've interviewed anywhere for each of these surveys, anywhere uh, between two to 5,000 individuals that mirror the demographics of the United States from race, ethnicity, and geographic coverage. And so with that um, understanding that we have this wide geographic and demographic uh, survey, when we ask people why... Are they interested? They say, I want to get back to some normalcy of life. And that is a really important driver for why people want to get the vaccine. And that was the top box uh, response. When we ask people, why are you hesitant? So, on the other side, it's because I am unclear about the safety and efficacy of these vaccines. Mm -hmm. And so they want to understand better safety and efficacy. And that's where we as a healthcare enterprise, uh, payers, providers, health services, companies, all of us can do a lot about addressing safety and efficacy. So Laura, you know, I hope that answers your question about why people are both interested or also are and why they're hesitant.
2: Yeah, and let me ask you, one thing I know that's evident also from your research is that there are different perceptions of the vaccine in different communities. Can you talk about the importance of using culturally appropriate messaging to address each community's specific concern?
0: Laura, this is so important, and we have seen historic inequities in how healthcare is delivered, And if we look at COVID-19 specifically, and we look at the most tragic metric here of mortality, what we see is that there's been a 40% higher mortality rate for Black Americans than white Americans, 20% higher for Latinx Americans compared to white Americans. And so uh, in addressing the um, vaccine hesitancy, it's important that we understand specific race and ethnicity concerns. So when we look at uh, hesitancy, what we see is that hesitancy is higher among blacks than it is among Latinos and uh, uh, and white uh, Americans. And so, uh, and safety efficacy is a primary concern for all communities when it comes to vaccine hesitancy. In terms of this concept of culturally uh, competent uh, or culturally aware uh, messaging, I would reframe it as making sure that we have trusted individuals that are able to work uh, with uh, stakeholders across different communities. And when we, uh, and to make sure that we address the concerns of each community. And what we have found is that uh, according to our research, who is most trusted among the various uh, potential stakeholders is clinicians, pharmacists, doctors, nurses, and those individuals who are from those communities are really important. And that is in in juxtaposition to uh, celebrities or politicians or uh, authorities um, or actors or celebrities they're important as well, but uh, I can't emphasize enough, what our research shows is amplifying the voices of clinicians and clinicians from those communities is incredibly important in addressing head-on the safety and efficacy concerns that uh, each community has. Mm. So I would just reframe it a little bit differently. Uh, uh, instead of you know talking about it from a culturally competent, it's just you know being from the community and having clinicians front uh, and center in that discussion. Now, another piece here is that you want to amplify those messages of clinicians. And so those other groups, uh, religious leaders, uh, community uh, uh, activists, um, politicians and celebrities can amplify the messages of clinicians. So that's not to say that they don't have a role, but it is important, uh, again, that clinicians come first in this uh, messaging.
1: So it's great that we have multiple vaccines now, right? We have Pfizer, we've got Moderna, we've got J and J. We might be on the cusp of a another vaccine from AstraZeneca shortly. Um, and we know that you looked at this in the research, and it sounded like you found that having multiple vaccines that are administered either as one or two dose regimens could help achieve broad acceptance. Was that surprising to you? And uh, you know what? So. Matt, I think it's fantastic and really a
0: testament to our ability uh, to have three uh, authorized vaccines available at this time, only a year and a half into the pandemic. And based on our research, what we found is that people were split in terms of their uh, interest level of uh, any one particular regimen, one-dose or two-dose regimen. In our survey, we found that 26% said that they were more likely to get a two-dose vaccine. 18% said they were less interested, but a majority, 50%, 56% said it didn't really change their interest if it's one dose or two dose. And so having multiple options as we think about having, and especially when we know that these vaccines are in general equivalents when it comes to preventing severe COVID hospitalizations or death, it's really uh, great to have these options and uh, uh, in allowing um, consumers over time to have the options for one dose versus two dose regimens. I would also say, Matt, that one dose and two dose regimens based on the clinical circumstance would, might play different roles. One dose might be better for uh, hard to reach communities such as homebound patients. Or patients who are being hospitalized and being discharged where we might not have follow-up. Uh, and so having that option is great for those particular clinical circumstances, but what our research showed is that a majority of patients in the country are at equivalence when it comes to one versus two dose regimens.
2: So you talked earlier about that, that there is the hesitancy is going down. There is good news on the horizon. However, there is still a hesitancy that exists. What is the most compelling thing that you can tell someone to motivate them to get vaccinated?
0: And Laura, that last piece that you mentioned that the vaccine hesitancy exists is really important. So it is good news that in our most recent data, it has softened, but we still continue to see this uh, hesitancy and the hesitancy routinely has been across all of our surveys around safety and efficacy. And so these are solvable uh, problems for us as a healthcare industry, as providers and as payers to be able to communicate out, we have data around safety, we have data around efficacy. And, uh, And as I had mentioned earlier, having clinicians supported by other members of the healthcare industry and uh, and society at large will help us in communicating the story about these being safe and efficacious, that the development process was informed by decades of research. These were large scale clinical trials, thousands of participants that were in these trials. And beyond the trials, we now, over the past couple of months, have real world evidence about the safety and efficacy. So above and beyond trial data, we can now look at what is happening across the globe and here in the United States. And what we see is that these are incredibly safe, incredibly efficacious vaccines, uh, regardless of manufacture.
2: Health insurance providers are working around the clock to ensure that all Americans can receive a COVID-19 vaccine free of cost. That includes partnering with state and local public health authorities to identify individuals who should be placed at the front of the line to receive the vaccine. Visit AHIP.org to learn more about what health insurance providers are doing to help get Americans vaccinated.
1: Shreed, the research is phenomenal. So extremely helpful to inform different actions or strategies that we can take. So how are you gonna use these findings going forward to form your work? And what's CVS Health already doing uh, around planning, building awareness and ensuring safe and equitable access uh, to vaccines across different communities?
0: CVS Health has really been proud to be part of the na- nationwide effort to administer COVID-19 vaccines we have the capability across our nearly 10,000 stores to be able to provide up to 25 million shots a month. And we believe that pharmacies, which are located across the country in close proximity to where people live in their communities is gonna be critically important for reaching people where they are. And we have trusted clinicians that are in those communities that uh, people are working with the community day in and day out. Uh, our pharmacists and our pharmacy technicians and our nurse practitioners. So as we move forward using this survey data and future survey data, we are uh, creating the messaging around safety and efficacy, we're using our multiple channels of communication to amplify those messages around safety and efficacy as vaccine access expands that allows us to open up new stores that provides vaccine access in the community. We've also, as I'd mentioned, talked about having those messages amplified. And so we've partnered with influencers across the uh, spectrum from healthcare providers, community activist organizations, church leaders, public health officials. having those partnerships in amplifying the information around safety and efficacy is critically important. And then we are using our channels with our members through Aetna and CVS Caremark to also talk about vaccine access, safety, efficacy, and working with our contracted network of providers to make sure that our Aetna members uh, uh, have a clear sense of where there's availability and access. So I talked a lot about our retail access, as well as our educational efforts and amplifying those educational efforts. But as vaccine access expands, we also recognize that expanding or moving beyond the retail setting is gonna be important. So we are launching community-based strategy where we're bringing vaccines into communities that have been hard hit. uh, And that will be uh, offsite from our retail clinics where we can provide uh, vaccine access in the community. We've partnered with the YMCA and other community-based organizations to make sure that members of those communities are aware that vaccines are available in their community, and to provide all the necessary education and support on scheduling. And we have also partnered up with Lyft to provide free or reduced transportation to and from those clinics, whether it's on-site or off-site. So. We have learned a significant amount through our uh, work in long term care as well as general vaccination uh, administration to the general population and look forward to continuing the efforts to vaccinate America.
2: Awesome to hear all of those programs and those efforts. Um, one of the things I have heard you talk about is how the pandemic is going to help accelerate progress toward a more collaborative healthcare system, maybe some of these things that you're talking about right now. Can you talk about what you mean by that beyond um, some of the things you just mentioned and what you think this process will look like going forward?
0: So, all of us in responding to COVID 19 have learned a lot about how our companies have historically operated and how they need to rapidly transform in the setting of a crisis. It's led to new business processes that really has sharpened up and sped up our ability to make decisions and act in time-sensitive manners. And so there's going to be a lot of lessons learned about the internal ways that we operate. But when you get to that question of a collaborative healthcare system uh, and how do we make sure that we're meeting the needs of patients, we are seeing increasing uh, and changing Uh, asks from our our patients, and in a good way. For example, uh, we see an increased desire for a consumer-oriented healthcare system, one that's very convenient to access. We saw that in multiple ways across CVS Health. We saw an increase in the use of telehealth and digital therapeutics. We saw an increased desire for home delivery of medications that allowed people to get healthcare delivered at their house as opposed to having to come to a facility. We saw employers taking on a more specific role working uh, to provide healthcare services on site um, and uh, to to supplement the healthcare that people were receiving uh, across the healthcare spectrum. Specifically, what I'm talking about is COVID-19 testing, worksite COVID-19 testing, and to create a safe working environment by using testing to ensure the safety of a worksite. So as we think about moving forward, the, uh, what we believe is, is that in addition to the changes we've made internally to our own companies and business processes, as we think forward to that collaborative healthcare system, it's a collaborative healthcare system that helps patients get care where they need it, in a convenient, consumer-friendly way, that's going to be the rise of digital, the rise of home care, uh, and the rise of community-based care uh, as we get to the other side of the pandemic.
1: I think the collaboration that we've observed across the healthcare system is really just transformative, and nothing like we've observed, you know, to this point. So Sri, that brings us to our our final question that we are always uh, so happy to ask our guests and, and thank you again so much for being here. So from your perspective, what do you think is the next big thing in health?
0: Big question. And I actually think that there's multiple next big things, right? And so cost management and maintaining or improving quality simultaneously so the whole enterprise of value-based care and what is the role of pharmacy benefits? What's the role of health benefits? What's the role of healthcare delivery? That is one of the next big things. And, and it's hard to say it's the next big thing. It's been something that we've been working for decades. And with this most current articulation of population health and accountable care, we're going to see an increase concomitant to that desire to manage health care spend We're going to see an increase in in genomics and the use of genetic therapies and genomic data to manage care. We're going to see the rise of digital and uh, the use of digital therapies and digital therapeutics in managing care. And lastly, COVID-19 has put a real spotlight on health inequities. Uh, That is not new to COVID-19, but health inequities and addressing health inequities is gonna be the fourth other major piece. So trend management, genomics, digital, and health inequities, I think, are four big things that we are gonna to have to continue to address.
1: Shree, just a fascinating conversation here today. So much going on.
2: Thank you so much for joining us today. So insightful. Really appreciate your expertise and your and your insight. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Laura. Really, it was a pleasure to be here. Vaccines save lives and they're essential to helping us overcome the COVID-19 crisis. Health insurance providers are actively working with their local state and federal partners to ensure widespread uptake of COVID-19 vaccines and halt the spread of the disease. Working together, we can and will overcome the COVID-19 crisis. Visit ahip.org to learn more about what health insurance providers are doing to help get Americans vaccinated.